Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 81 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. What's shaking today, Doug? What's going on? Uh, we're recording just before the sun starts beaming into my apartment. Uh, it's still hot as hell in Vancouver. I'm waiting for, like, just, you know, a two, three-day trend of nice, cool, breezy weather, but that does not seem to be the case. This July has just been brutal. Yeah, it's been cooking, man. It was, it's so classic of us Vancouverites, eh? It's just no matter what the weather is doing, we're complaining about it. I love it. I like this heat, like high 20s. is great. I went for an awesome bike ride today around Vancouver and uh, getting some sun. For me, uh, it yeah, the apartment gets cooking as well, but yeah, I'll, I'll take it. As long as, what I like is if it cools down at night. Like when we had those stretches where it's just absolutely roasting at night, that's when it gets a little bit much for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the issue, right? When it's too hot at night, you can't sleep, you're tossing, you're turning, you're uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, the, the, the nighttime sleep in these heat waves is, is, is the worst. This is sounding like in a conversation I'll have in my elevator, just talking about the the weather as I go twenty floors. But man, we got a all of a sudden. There's a lot to talk about. I know uh, we it's been about nine days or so since we recorded, but man, we got a lot coming up on this episode. We do actually have some Canucks stuff. We're kind of scraping a little bit for Canucks news. It's starting to filter in, but I do think this next week we're really going to see the activity pick up. In the next couple episodes, we'll have a lot of Canucks stuff to cover. I feel. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've got the protection list coming up. We've got the expansion draft, the NHL draft. So I think there will be, hopefully, lots of positive Canucks news in the coming week. We're also going to touch on everything that's happened around the league in the last couple of days. It's been pretty eventful. So we'll be touching on Minnesota, Edmonton, Chicago, Nashville, Ottawa, Montreal. Uh, there, there's a lot happening in, in other Canadian markets. It's uh, just still fairly quiet on the Western front right now. Uh, as well, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And you can be sure to follow our ever-growing playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. There'll be another great track added to that playlist today. Before we talk about the Stanley Cup getting one, I just wanted to send our thoughts out to the Mattis Kivlenix family and the Columbus Blue Jackets organization. Uh, we know in Vancouver what it's like to lose a young player, and I can only imagine how much it's affected his teammates and the family and the organization and the fans out there. Um, you know, I, of course, I'm referring to an, the Luke Bourdon uh, situation in Vancouver, and I know I've mentioned this before on on our episodes about Latvia and my experiences with hockey in, in Latvia, but Latvia is a tight hockey community. It's a small country. Uh, it, this affects everyone in Latvian hockey as well. So uh, my thoughts as well to the people of Latvia with this situation. Really sad accident, and we're wishing everyone the best, and especially the Kivlenix family. Yeah, I mean, obviously for a young man to lose their, or anyone to lose their life at the age of 24 is extremely sad, especially when they have their 
whole life just starting out and then when you heard the details or some of the details about you know the tragic accident that happened I believe with a mortar firework and at first when I because the report was that he had passed uh, you know I assumed you know maybe it was COVID related maybe he had cardiac arrest and then you heard that it was actually an accident that you know theoretically could have been prevented it is extremely sad and like you said pete nothing but heartfelt thoughts and prayers to the family yeah i heard those that news as well and uh, it's it is an incredibly sad story but just wanted to start with that and uh again wish everyone in columbus and latvia and everywhere else it's affected by this all the best on a more positive note that's a, it's a tough that's a tough thing to follow but um on a more positive note, the Stanley Cup did get won this past week as well. We saw the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Montreal Canadiens in five games, putting an end to what a lot of people called a Cinderella run by the Habs. I still don't call it that. I'm not as surprised by a lot of people. I expected or I thought that the Habs would probably end up in the final four. Um, I am a little still surprised till they beat Vegas, but congrats to Tampa. Yes, they were over the cap and blah, blah, blah. And, and I know they're trolling people with that too. But the f- fact is, is they really didn't do anything wrong. They found a loophole and they worked it. And I mean, it, I, I was thinking like if the Canucks did that, I would be like, fuck yeah, nice work by the management to figure out a way to swindle some extra cap space and get a second cup. So I don't know how you feel that way. And I mean, I, of course, uh, I know a lot of people are pretty pissed at it. It's probably, especially Montreal, but uh, does it bother you, Doug, that they were so far over the cap. It it wouldn't bother me if we didn't have the Luongo cap recapture penalty hanging over the Canucks right now. That's why it bothers me. And I think that's why it probably bothers most Canucks fans is because the Canucks were accused of circumventing the cap. And is that not what we just witnessed with Tampa Bay? That being said, look, Tampa, I still think is the best team in the league. The majority of their players are homegrown talent that they drafted and developed. You know, the likes of Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Hedman, Stamkos, Kalorn, Sorelli. I mean, the Yanni Gord. I mean, they are a hell of a team, and they have developed and drafted very well over the years. And they were the best team this year. I, I agree, hands down. I think they deserve to win the Stanley Cup. I do think they were the best team. Um but yeah, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a, you know, it, it, it gives me a bad feeling as a Canucks fan when we had history and the rules rewritten after a legal contract was signed by the league and it's like we were punished after the fact. And I know there's rumors and there's speculation that Gillis was warned that if he signed Luongo to that kind of contract that it could come back to, you know, bite the organization in the ass and Gillis still did it. It's like, well, they also rewrote the rule books for Shea Weber. So his contract isn't going to cripple the Nashville Predators if he was to retire before the end of that contract. So I, again, it just feels like the Canucks are the only ones that kind of got punished for that. But congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you know what? Congratulations to the Montreal Canadiens. I think they had a hell of a run. I think it was really good to experience for that good young core that they have there. I love Nick Suzuki. He's vastly becoming one of my favorite non-Canuck players in the league. 
Um, I like Kaka Niemi as well. I think he's a good young player. I still scratch my head a little bit that the Charm scratched him for the last couple of games in that series. But uh, yeah, uh, congratulations all around. Yeah, the, the Luongo cap recapture is is bullshit. I mean, the Canucks are the only team that has had this happen. You look at you know Brent Seabrook, who's basically said I'm retired, but is is not retired, right? And they they just put him on LTIR, and and uh, I mean that one's maybe a bit of a, a wrong circumstance because he just wants to get paid. But there are a lot of these other long contracts that didn't go punished. And you're right, the Marian Hosa one got. Yeah, Marion Hosa is is a great example of of that as well. So uh, there's it, a lot of crap with that. It's going to be interesting to see what Tampa does now. It's obvious they got to shed salary. I don't think they care too much about that. They're too busy dropping the Stanley Cup on its head right now to really <laughs> care about what they got to do. But I, I could see them as being one of the more likely teams to swing a deal with Seattle. Uh, they're going to expose good players regardless, so it is going to be tricky. Um, and Tampa as well, they don't have a first rounder this year or a second rounder they or a fourth rounder, and they don't have a second or a third next year. So there there could be a point when their system dries up a bit. But again, like I, I, another thing that I look at uh, with, with this Tampa team that, you know, you talked a lot about uh, – the players that they develop. And and I totally agree with that. They've done a great job of finding guys in spots in the draft that other teams missed on. Like Vasilevsky was a late first. We talked, I know last episode, quite a bit about Braden Point being a third rounder. And there, there's quite a few other gems and guys that they've just signed as well that have turned out really well. Um, but I wanted to talk a little about the blue line. And the blue line was built very differently, is that they got four of their starting six defensemen they got via trade and two of those were Montreal draft picks originally and Ryan McDonough and Mikhail Sergachev and I think the Sergachev for Drew Endiel I think you can right now you can certainly give the nod to, to Tampa Bay in that one I, I know Ryan McDonough the big piece going back from the Rangers in that deal to Montreal was Scott Gomez so that one doesn't really work for for Montreal either uh, but the Eric Cernak he was acquired in the deal when they sent Ben Bishop to LA uh, that's a good trade and then David Savard at the trade deadline and David Savard is a guy I think the Canucks should take a look at if they can get at a reasonable cap hit right side D 30 years old uh, that's a guy I'd be interested in as well for this team but they really went out of their way to address some holes and they did it up front with Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman and yes they gave up a lot to get them in a couple of firsts but those guys are UFA now they won two cups so I'd say it worked out so they they have worked all the routes as well including some of their guys they signed depth guys via free agency as well they uh interesting team and it's going to be an interesting offseason for them but congratulations put the cup in bubble wrap so you don't drop it in the bottom of tampa bay and uh you know congrats to the lightning yeah and you know what how awesome was kucherov's post-game interview i liked I mean, it of course you know you want these athletes and these players to show that kind of emotion and you know, I love it. I mean, you know, so what if he's talking shit? You know, you need more of that in the NHL. The One of the issues I feel in the NHL that, and again, I know a lot of people will say, well, we shouldn't be trying to market to the U.S. anyways. But, I mean, it is a market that we do need to placate to. And that's the fact that the NHL doesn't allow a majority of their athletes to have personalities. That it's kind of shunned upon and it's looked down upon. I mean, there's been a few big personalities over the years that I think were able to break through the media into the mainstream. I look at a guy like Jeremy Roenick, 
despite some of his, you know, post-career issues he's had. He was a big personality. I look at a guy like Brett Hall, who before he was wasted at the St. Louis Blues uh, Stanley Cup parade, you know, he was a big personality. Even a guy like Patrick Waugh, he had some unbelievable, some of the greatest sports quotes in history with my two Stanley Cup ears are plugging my ears. And that was with Jeremy Roenick. Exactly. Yeah, as well. Um, And P.K. Subban, uh, uh, another guy who I think uh, you're going to see more of. I think he's uh, being a real nice addition. I know Patrick Sharp was one of the better people, I thought, with NBC. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. And, of course, the new formats in the States. But I do 100% agree with you that uh, you do have to market to the U.S. It's a a bigger audience in Canada. You don't have to do much in Canada. You just got to put hockey on and the the product is good. We, We got that down. But the NHL didn't really do as well in the States last few years, I do believe, because of NBC. I'm really excited to see where they go from here. And hockey interviews can't be just the same old stuff. Those pucks in deep, you know, boring guys from the, the prairies. You know, again, that's probably harsh uh, <laughs> picking on picking on that. But can you can you just picture like emerging hockey fans in places like Texas and California being like, oh, who the, who the heck is this kid from Flin Flon, Saskatchewan? And what's he talking about? Pucks in deep like this. That's a channel changer. You need more of that personality. Kucherov certainly got across multiple platforms is one of the best press conferences I've seen in hockey. Yes, he Montreal fans are pissed and I get it. I'd be pissed off too but this is good you need more of this you need bigger personalities in hockey i want to see more of this across the board i think Petey on on the canucks is a there's a good chance for a player like that a different personality he's not as like as loud and boisterous as kucherov but he's got a personality that you let that come out a bit more it's extremely marketable and i don't want to i don't want to do interviews with Petey and hear him talking about how they gotta finish their checks and get pucks in deep and uh, you know control the power play like i want to hear more than that yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I do find it funny that arguably two of the most charismatic players in the entire NHL are both Russian, with Ovechkin and Kucherov. You know, normally I would think the Russians are the quiet, stoic types, you know, but you know they're two of the more like loud and like in a good way bombastic personalities in the NHL right now, and they need more of that. I mean, look, Crosby's great. The guy has won it all, scored the gold medal, the game-winning gold medal goal in 2010 in Vancouver, but I mean. Crosby, no offense, and same with McDavid, they both have the personality of a stick. You know what I mean? I'm sure behind the scenes... Vanilla yogurt. Exactly. And I'm sure behind the scenes, they're really good guys, and they're really funny, and they, quote-unquote, let their hair down, and, you know, they're a lot more easygoing, but... You know, any inter- post-game interview you ever see with those two guys, it's just like, holy cow, I would rather watch paint dry. Yeah, and, and not to single those guys out. It extends no. far far beyond those. The Russian thing is interesting because I've thought the same thing as well. Like Ovechkin with the cup and Kucherov with the cup. Uh, though th- that was a that was something we really hadn't seen. And and I mean this era of Russians, they weren't alive during the the fall of the old Soviet Union. And like I mean I still remember when the Canucks brought in Larionov and Krutov. And That's a good I mean, point. of course, I wasn't around for 72, obviously, but the Red Army was still there. And they, that Red Army team was looming. There was the 87 Canada Cup, which, uh, which I remember as well. And these guys have really grown up in an era where they have a domestic league, but it's still well known that if you really want to 
be big. You got to hop the pond to North America. That's how you. That's the best league in the world. That's where the money is. That's where the palm trees are uh, in a lot of these places. And and it, it's it's changed. I think a lot of the perception. Like when the Russians come over here and win it, I think there's more of a big like fuck yeah, I did it. And it's yeah. like they're showing everyone back home, and they're like, yeah, whatever. I've won the Stanley Cup on North American soil, so like screw this i'm just gonna like it's it's like almost like a a victory i i think it's a it there's probably a form of some sort of nationalism in, involved in there but that's very different from the stoic red army days because this era of russians and i give pavel Bure a lot of credit for this because he was really besides mcgillney he was really the first one who showed the creativity of russians in the the nhl before doing it in uh in Russian soil for the most part and it there's this new era of these really electrifying creative players and who are dominating the game and are bringing this new level of, of Russian excitement to it and we're going to have one of them on our team this year it'll be interesting to see what Pod Colson is like personality wise yeah and I also think for a lot of these Russian players the KHL is always going to be there for them right so they can always go back and play their weaning years in the KHL and, you know, still be a big deal and probably make a decent paycheck, you know, in their third, late thirties, early forties. I mean, Datsuk is still playing over there and I still think he's, he's producing at quite the clip over there. I believe he's a point of game. I think Kovalchuk's over there as well. Yeah. But it's true. They can, they can treat it like uh, it's very similar to how soccer players do it. They make their career in Europe and then they come over to North America to finish it out in the MLS. And it's the other way, I think, for a lot of Europeans. Like, Yarmir Yager is still playing. The guy's like 92, yeah. and he's still playing. I mean, he owns the team in the Czech League as well. But th- there are, you're right, there are those opportunities. Uh, like, a guy like Zidane Char is an interesting case that he's still in North America a- at his age. But there's always going to be spots for those guys going back to Russia. You get a 39-year-old Alex Ovechkin returning, any team in the KHL would take that guy. Well, and a lot of those fans have never got to see those players play live because they've gone to the NHL, you know, maybe they were too young when they were still playing in Russia or in the Czech Republic or wherever. And now they get a chance to see Yarmar Yager play. And I've, you know, he's been in the North America for the last 20 years. And now he's finally back home. And I'm of an age where I can actually go see, you know, one of my idols play. So they are very lucky like that. And, you know, Pod Colson, I haven't seen a lot of his personality, but I do feel like he's going to be a guy that isn't going to be afraid to speak his mind. And you know what? I think, you know, he'll have a, he'll, he'll have that kind of new Russian vibe that I think we've seen a lot of these young Russian kids. I mean, even Goldie, Goldobin kind of had that little bit of swagger about him uh, as opposed to what you would think most Russian players would be. It's going to be interesting with pods coming over because, I mean, Petey, we, we, we've gotten to know Petey's personality. Uh, Brock's pretty chill with that. Quinn's is just starting to come out. Niels looks like he's got a ton uh, of personality. And and now you got Pod Colson coming over and, it's, you know, maybe Jack Rathbone and Will Lockwood are there as well. It's, it's, it is this new generation of hockey players. Really, we're starting to see these kids who are really like Gen Z Zoomers as opposed to millennials now starting to play. And it's a, that's a big difference. And so I, I am curious to see that as well with Pod Colson and, and where he's going to fit in the lineup and whether he's going to be second or, or third line. And, and speaking of, of third line, just before we started recording, uh, Elliot Friedman was on 650 and he was talking about how he doesn't think Brandon Sutter is going to be back with the Canucks. I know we've talked about Brandon Sutter and, 
no disrespect to him, but you can't bring back all the same players. And I don't think Brandon Sutter is really the right fit for the third C position. Uh, Doug, what do you think about not bringing Sutter back? I mean, yeah, especially if Beagle is going to be healthy enough to play at the beginning of next season, it sounds like he should be ready for training camp. I know there was speculation early on with the Beagle injury that this could be it, his career could be done. Then there was talk that he could be on LTIR for the entirety of the season. Now it sounds like he's trending towards being ready for training camp and should theoretically, unless he has a setback, be ready for opening night. You can't have Beagle and Sutter back on this team. It's one or the other. And to ha- if they did bring Sutter back, for me, it would be a massive disappointment. Uh, Sutter just hasn't been able to stay healthy during his tenure as a Canuck. He is a good penalty killer, but the injuries, the amount of miles that is on his body throughout the years, he's just not a reliable player because, because he can't stay healthy. He's also not... A really good distributor of the puck he's got a great shot I mean he scored 20 goals I think a handful of times or at least two or three times in his career but the guy he's just he doesn't have that playmaking ability and I do think generally speaking you want your centers to to be more of a playmaker than a sniper for the most part I mean that was one of the big issues with Ryan Kessler I know he scored for he was the last 40 goal scorer I believe for the Canucks and one of the big issues was is that he shoots too much and he doesn't create enough offense for his wingers and that is Brandon Sutter in spades yeah I'm looking at his stats and he's your perennial kind of Cy Young guy uh you know a lot more goals and assists and uh, again, I, I just think it, it it's – and this goes into, for me, the blue line a bit as well. I say if you bring back everyone and expect different results, it's not really going to do anything, especially as Sutter gets to be a year older. If Beagle is back last year of his deal, putting him in the fourth line role, still have that big hole at 3C, and, and there's a lot of different ways that Canucks could go. I know a lot of people think maybe moving JT Miller in there. I'm less of a fan of that and hope that they can bring someone else in, but – it, it, you got to get away from that mold, you know, like I, I keep saying top six, bottom six, it's got to be a top nine and a utility line. That's the way you have to go in this NHL and you need three lines that can score. And one of the biggest problems with the Canucks last year were these stretches when you saw like you're, you're looking at guys like Jake for and no goals in 20 games, Brandon Sutter, no goals in 18 games. I, uh, uh, Cole Lynn, no goals in 12 games, you know, not to pick on anyone in particular, but it was anyone in the bottom six forwards. Like you just weren't getting goals out of them. And that was a big problem. And it's time to retool that third line, especially with Pod Colson coming in. You now have the ability to put him or Tanner Pearson or JT Miller into a third line role if you want and bring in someone who is a little more offensively minded into 3C. Yeah, I mean, even the guy like Adam Gaudet. He struggled in the 3C position last year. And, uh, you know, I still think the Canucks, and I think you generally agree with me, Pete, sold a little too low on him. I think you could probably have gotten more for Godet this offseason than you did at the trade deadline. But he was another guy that was struggling and just couldn't find his groove offensively. And, yeah, it's a real issue for this Canucks team. And I've heard a lot of people say, and I don't necessarily disagree with them, that maybe Hoglander would have been better suited on a third-line role. Not because he wasn't productive enough in the top six, but he could have just added a little bit more balance and a little bit more offensive depth through the 
top three lines or the top nine, as you suggest. Yeah, it's it's for me, it's it's a no brainer to get away from this two line dependency and having all these this vet heavy process and or and, and just all these they tried a lot of different pieces and none of it really worked last year. I mean, uh, Tyler Graevac's a guy who I thought looked good. At, at times and maybe bring him back as your fifth center and you know Highmore had his flashes I thought he got better as, as it went on but you need to have a third line that at least you know every two to three games at the least is able to pop a goal and also that ties in as well with the the power play and how the Canucks would often play a hundred of 120 seconds with the same five guys out there and on four forwards which throws everything out of whack after that for a little while and so I think it's really important to bring in a 3C who's more offensively minded than Brandon Sutter. Sutter's have a long history with this organization and the NHL, and you know I wish him nothing the best, but the best. Uh, I'm he. I think he'll probably find a home somewhere, but I think it's in the Canucks' best interest, even if you were to get him at a cheap deal to to move away from him. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see Sutter end up in Calgary. His uncle's now the coach. Uh, he's a Daryl Sutter type of player, the meat and potatoes type of guy. Um, so I could definitely see him landing there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's a few names that have been floated out there. I know Andrew Kopp's name apparently popped up today as a potential guy that the Jets could be looking to move. He would look good in a Canucks uniform in the 3C slot, I think. We brought up Scott Lawton on a previous episode. I think Ivan Barbashev could be a, a nice addition, depending on what the cost would be for the Canucks. There's there's some options out there. Uh, one of the guys that I thought would have looked good in a Canucks uniform, and apparently I think Rick Dollywall mentioned today that he was the guy that the Canucks were actually looking at, uh, and he's the type of player that they are targeting as far as that 3C role, is a Nick Bugstad. I believe he signed a, a one- or two-year extension in Minnesota, uh, I think it was only for like just over a million dollars. But uh, yeah, he's another guy that I thought would have looked decent in a Canucks uniform in that 3C role. Yeah, Bugstad is a $900,000 deal, a one-year deal. It's uh, not much, but uh, that would have been a guy I'd have liked as well. He's bounced around the league a little bit in there. Um, you know, I mentioned Mikhail Grigorenko before. I'm not convinced that he doesn't go back to the KHL, but I, again, just having that other Russian uh, may be something as well with having Pod Colson on the team. I think there could be a benefit to that um, as well. But it is worth noting how we have a trade freeze coming up on Saturday uh, that goes through to the 22nd, uh, where you cannot make deals with any team in that period except for the Seattle Kraken. So you Canucks can trade with Seattle and make deals with them, but the Canucks can't trade with Calgary or, or Edmonton or anyone else. Um, so that gives us till Saturday. I think it's noon out here. I think it's the classic noon, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, for the Canucks to figure out what they want to do with those spots. Because right now, you know, I, I look at their protection list and the, the number seven forward spot, that is up for grabs. And realistically, and I think some people could disagree with me, but in my opinion, all three defensive spots could be up for grabs. I don't think there is any one defender on the Canucks right now that you have to say, we got to keep this guy. And 
Right. So Edler and Hamannick, they're UFAs, so you don't have to worry about them. Hughes and Rathbone, they're not eligible. So right now you're protecting Schmidt, Myers, and Yulevi. And what's the worst that happens if Schmidt gets picked up? You, you've got $6 million bucks pretty much in cap space. Myers, same thing. If he goes, you've got $6 million bucks in cap space, which I think a lot of Canucks fans figure, at least in Myers' case, they, they could be allocated better. And I, I do think the Canucks fan base has been unnecessarily hard on Myers at times. There were times last year where I thought Myers did play very well. It's just he is very much an up-and-down guy. And then Ole Olevi, there's no guarantee that Seattle would take him. So I think a lot of fans right now are, are just chomping, waiting to see, like, look, at least one defenseman and maybe getting that 3C via trade. Uh, it's really important, but the clock is ticking. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting names out there. One guy that I've kind of been doing a little bit more of a deep dive on, and I know he struggled last year, but, you know, this team is going to lose a really good defenseman to Seattle for basically nothing, is Orion Graves. He's a big, I think he's 6'6", 6'7". I know after watching the Canadians go on the run that they did, I think a lot of teams and, you know, the NHL is a copycat league. A lot of teams are looking to try to get those big bruising defensemen back there. And Ryan Graves is a guy who did show some offensive upside with Colorado a couple of years ago. For whatever reasons, he struggled this past season. But he's a guy that I think will be exposed because they're probably going to be protecting McCarr, Gerard, and... Um, Taze. I know Eric Johnson said that he's willing to waive his no movement clause so they can they don't have to protect him. Um, but again, you can only protect three defensemen. So they're still behind the eight ball with that. Well, unless you go the eight skaters. So you could yep. protect Gerard, Taves, Graves, and McCarr. But then up front, okay, you're going to protect Rantanen, McKinnon, um, Kadri and uh, I'll just say Burke Jost. I don't. Uh, sure, whoever. Let's let's yeah. say let's say Jost uh, uh, as uh, a fourth one. Uh, um, but uh, so like that's still though. Now you're looking at okay. It, they're probably going to lose a forward. I mean, Landis again, he's UFA, and Brandon Sod's UFA. So, but then what is a Burkovsky, a Donskoy, a, a JT Comfer? Uh, a th- there's. It, it, they could go that way. I think that's probably what they would do. Jason Megna. I mean, <laughs> uh, but I, I think that's, I think as much as I'd like the Ryan Graves one too, I think what's going to happen is Johnson waves and I think uh, Colorado protects 4D, but I'm with you. Ryan Graves, uh, I thought would have been a great one. And I think he flew a little under the radar until uh, this playoffs, at least for uh, fans outside of that division. But uh, again, he would be a great fit. Again, he's left side, but we don't really know what's going on with the left side right right now. I'm not sure that Edler or Yolevi is going to be the answer in the starting six. Yeah, and there was also a report, I believe it was either today or yesterday, from Rick Dollywall again, uh, that apparently the Canucks have made contract offers to Edler and Hamannick. So it looks like their intention is to bring Edler back, which, again, if you can get him on a cheap enough deal and he's not playing the type of minutes he played last year, I'm kind of okay with. But like you said off the top, Pete, bringing back the same defense isn't doing anything. I mean, the only new addition to this defense essentially is Jack Rathbone, as in you're getting him for an entire year. But I still don't think this defense is 
that much improved by adding a guy like Jack Rathbone, who will improve this decor, but not significantly enough. Rathbone will, will I, I think he's going to be good, but he's going to be coming in like uh, like Quinn Hughes 2.0 in a lot of ways. And this is this is something I remember like a couple months ago when I was on uh, Sportsnet 650, we were talking about this. And I was like, look, you know, Edler coming back on like a one-year, $1 million deal. I'm okay with that as long as the idea is, look, look, you're basically a number seven defenseman and a mentor, right? You're the guy you can plug in as, as a third pairing or and, and you're not going to play every night. You're probably going to play 50 games, not not 80 games. Travis Hamanick, I thought he played well and is worthy of a contract. Um, I'm, I think if it starts going north of uh, maybe two and a quarter, two and a half, though, you're probably going to have to walk away. And then there's the Nate Schmidt situation. If you don't trade him, you're right. It's the same blue line. And I, I don't know if a lot of fans are willing to accept that. I, I mean, I do think Rathbone is going to be an improvement. And maybe if you play Rathbone more than Edler but that blue line last year wasn't good enough and you're a couple injuries away from going into a depth pool that isn't very deep yeah and there's a couple of decent mid-tier free agents that the Canucks could be looking at I, I think of Brandon Montour is a guy that I think the Canucks will have some interest in um but most of the big defensemen that are out there that would be in the Canucks price point range are all left side defensemen and you know they desperately need guys to play the right right now and if the rumors about Schmidt wanting out and the teams trying to facilitate that trade to happen for him are true you know are they going to be able to get a reasonably decent right shot defenseman back because the one thing that is nice nice about Nate Schmidt despite him being a left-handed shot he generally does play the right side yes uh and and that does help and I know that Green doesn't really like the the guys playing their offside and that may have been a part of the factor why Schmidt didn't have a great year as well I'd, again I know we talked about this last episode I'd be okay with the Canucks moving Schmidt in even if it's for a pick because then you can go out there and and look for guys who are on the right side which is like you said what you need but there there are guys out there in free agency I mean I think you know Dougie Hamilton I think is a bit of a reach I mentioned David Savard already I mean Adam Larson could be an interesting one. I agree with Brandon Montour. I like uh, what he can bring to the table. Sammy Vatnin is another guy. Maybe a guy like Zach Bogosian is a cheaper option. But that's really the question. Is like I know it's hard as a Canucks fan to not like Alex Edler. He's got almost every Canucks goal record. He's still sitting at ninety nine goals. Sorry, I shouldn't say goal record. Every every games record played points power play he's got he's got all of them but he's not effective anymore but still i'd be okay like i said bringing him in on a cheap deal if you can get hammonick back on a decent deal yeah but yeah with with rathbone that's your starting starting d again right now that from pretty much from last year so and it also pushes the whole situation what do you do with Olio levy uh continues to pop up because um that guy's got a play more than what he was playing Adam Larson's another guy depending on what it would cost to sign him that I I would really be interested in if I'm a Canucks fan 
And if I'm Canucks management, again, I don't think he's going to ever live up to the hype of where he was drafted. I know he was being compared to Victor, the next coming of Victor Hedman, and he struggled definitely at times in Edmonton, but I also think it could be a lot of the way Edmonton plays and just trying to rely too heavily on certain minutes for a guy like him, but I think he could be a really solid addition to this Canucks team for the right side. Again, depending on what a contract would look like. One other thing, um, there are 45... There are 45 right-side UFA defensemen in the NHL this this offseason. Out of those, 15 of them made a million-plus last year. So that tells you about the quality of right-side guys that are available when uh, two-thirds of them made less than uh, a million dollars. And not to knock those players, but it just shows you that there is a real lack of quality on the free agent market. So again, if you can trade Schmidt and bring back someone who is more a true right side defenseman maybe is a better fit I, I think you got to look at it um what do you think about the whole oliver eric oliver ekman larson thing popping up again now for me there was never any substance to it as nick kiprios said that it, it, arizona is trying to move him and he could see vancouver being a fit because they talked last year and that was the extent of it i don't think there's any anything to it again he's a left side d 8.25 million for another six years and if you're bringing in a guy with that contract that's going to bump quinn hughes up as well all of a sudden if you're negotiating a deal for seven and a half for hughes you're going to be closer to nine if you bring in a guy like ekman larson uh 29 years old as well Uh, i like the player don't like the contract don't like the left side don't like the term um but do you think there's it was anything more to it? I, I looked around. I couldn't find anything more than what Kiprio said. No one else reported it. No, I mean, I, I definitely think the Canucks had serious interest in OEL last year. I don't think there's anything there this year. It just doesn't even make sense. I mean, think about it. You have Schmidt at $6 million for four more years, or you could have o, OEL for two and a quarter more than Schmidt for two more years. So you would have him, I think, for another eight, or sorry, another six years. It just doesn't even make sense financially. Um, OEL, you know, I still think is a decent player, but his best days are behind him. And unfortunately, he's overpaid. He's just, he's far too overpaid at the moment. And he's a guy that I would not be interested in whatsoever if I'm a Canucks fan. There was a guy that surprisingly became available today that I would love the Canucks to maybe try and sign. He does play the left side. The issue with that is I don't think he would sign here. I think he's going to try to chase a cup somewhere, whether that be Colorado, uh, you know, maybe he signs with the Rangers, but, uh, you know, obviously there was a, some pretty big news that uh, came out of Minnesota today that I think uh, took the hockey world by storm and shocked everybody. Yeah, that was a, a fun one to wake up to, and man, that is uh, that is some rough ones to eat. I think so. With Minnesota buying out Suter and Prize, they were signed the same day. They were bought out the same day. Like uh, I was joking in a tweet earlier that I'm like, this is like Fight Club, right? They're the, they're the same person. <laughs> um, but years two, three, and four—that is some mammoth nasty on the Minnesota books. Um, my guess is what happened in Minnesota, and this is just a a guess, is they were staring down the possibility of losing a good player again uh, in the expansion draft. And after their poor decisions with trading Alex Tuck to Vegas and how that worked out, uh, I don't think there was any appetite for 
the organization and the fans there to to lose a, a guy of a, like a Felino or a Greenway or a Dumba or someone in in the expansion draft and I think they just said, look, we're we got to buy these guys out now and we're going to create two protective spots and it is going to suck though in years 2, 3 and 4. So, I, you know, I was thinking this as well is that when they stop paying these guys, the Seattle Kraken will be entering their ninth season. Wow. Their ninth season? Yeah, it's it, it, the buyout goes over 8 years. Now the last 4 years it's it's fairly negligible. It it doesn't really hurt them that much it's kind of those those small you know like 833,000s or something like that but it's uh it's years two three and four this so the 22 through to like the 24 25 season it's like 12.7 million combined on the cap 14.7 million for the last two that's a lot and I don't think the cap is going to go up uh in a couple years it may go up three or four years from now a bit but man they uh have a chunk of dead space picture four or five Luongo recaptures on your organization. That's what they've, they've got. Yeah. It's it. I mean, I give Garen credit. I'm not saying it was the right move, but it's a, it sure is a ballsy move what he did today. And the thing is, look, Parise is just not the same player. He injuries, I think have caught up to him over the years, but Suter, I know he's a little bit long in the tooth, but he's still a, generator of offense he's he's a guy i mean again i don't think he would consider signing with the canucks but he's a guy i would love to see on a short-term deal sign with the canucks i think he still is a top four defenseman in this league and i think he was very shocked to hear that the other thing too that this there was already rumblings that kaprizov was maybe going to be going back to the k and now this happens and essentially you've crippled your franchise you know, as far as what they're able to spend in the next three to four years, because you've got, you know, a $14 million cap penalty hanging over your head. That doesn't look like a team that's looking to win now. That looks like a team that's ready to rebuild and tear everything down to the ground. You know, does this push Kipris, or, sorry, Kaprizov back to the KHL even sooner? And here's a question I pose for you, Pete. Now, would you consider this trade a one-for-one one deal? I'm not saying I would necessarily consider this, but I would I would at least think about it. Would you trade Brock Besser for Kaprizov one-for-one? Oh, yeah. one? Yes, I would. You would? Yeah, 100% I would. Sorry, Brock, I love you, but Kaprizov, um, he's got something. He's got magic hands, man. Kaprizov with Pedersen would just be drooling. Um I, I love Brock, but yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would do that. But you can't trade for Kaprizov unless there's a guarantee that he's going to sign a contract with you. I agree, but if I'm a team and I'm looking at what Minnesota did today, I would be calling uh, Minnesota to see if you can get Kaprizov out of there, and then calling his agent to see if you can sign a long, long term deal. I would be on the phone now trying to do that. If I'm one of the other thirty. One NHL clubs, I guess, because Seattle technically uh, can be calling teams uh, right now, too, although they don't really have much to offer in trade-wise outside of nope. their first-round picks and the one Just, guy they've signed. Well, they have picks, and they have the ability to say, hey, we won't touch this guy. And there's, like, the, you know, we talked about Colorado and Tampa. There are teams that certainly could use that. I do think if Suter didn't have a no-movement clause, I think he would still be on the team. So he put up 19 points, and he played every, ga- every game for the Wild last year. Before that, his point totals, year before that, was 48. 
47, 51, 40, 51, 38, 43. He had an off year 32, but he only played 48 games. 46, 39, like 37, 45. The guy just puts up points every year. He is still effective. I think if it wasn't a no movement, I think they would have left him exposed because he wouldn't have gotten taken. And they wouldn't have had to be in this situation. But because he had the no movement clause, I think that's why they did both of them. But, uh, you know, it's it's ballsy. I'm not sure necessarily if it's the right move. Um, the Parise one, I get. I would love to see the NHL look at, you know, some sort of mercy rules for bad contracts. Because you're seeing this more and more now. And now with a flat cap, uh, what the NHL risks is losing guys to Europe uh, like kind of that mid-range caliber player or a Kaprizov uh, because there's too much of a squeeze on teams and you don't get these crazy off seasons like the NBA has. Uh, I would love for there to be some sort of leniency or mercy rules where, you know, and in Vancouver's case, they could just say, yeah, all right, Erickson's gone. We pay him out. We give him his money, but it's just a wipe away from the cap, you know, something like that in this coming out of COVID era, every team should have, one of those because everyone it man it's so hard to make trades right now and as for fans that's exciting and when the league if the league starts losing a decent players more and more over to europe to competing leagues that's something they got to look at yeah i mean it, it's a shame that the buyouts aren't actually full-on buyouts right that there's still that for certain contracts there's that much of a penalty to buy this player out where it's like you know you should hope you know get a mulligan you know what i mean like maybe every five years you're allowed to buy out a contract and there's no penalty to buy this contract out depending if it met certain parameters like it could be a contract over six years remaining kind of thing like that you'd have to be a contract that's five years or less i don't know and you could use this once every five years or once every three years i think it would give teams a little bit more flexibility to be able to get out of these bad contracts i mean there was I think I think it was Jay Fresh. He put up a very interesting stats, I think yesterday or the day before, about Louis Erickson. And his analytical stats, the three years he was in Boston, were incredible. Like amazing. And I don't think I know a lot of people were worried about the contract when the Canucks signed him right off the hop, uh, especially with the term, but Louis literally fell off a cliff. Like, literally, his production rate literally dropped. Like, almost, like, epic proportions. Um, I don't think anyone, even the people who right off the hop didn't like that signing, could have predicted that he would have fallen that hard that quickly. And it is amazing that, you know, you see a lot of these big free agents. That whole free agent summer was terrible. You had Andrew Ladd, uh, Milan Lucic, uh, I believe... um, Kyle Pozo as well signed a, a big contract. And all those contracts, every team that signed them is either bought that player out, has tried to trade their problem for another problem, or is just counting down the years. Yeah, I saw some stats today, and I can't remember it exactly, but less than 4% of long-term deals with an AAV over $5 million, less than 4% of those players end up finishing it with the team, and that's over the last decade. Like, that's crazy, and and yet teams still do it. Um, I, I just think, you know, like, what good does it really do the Minnesota Wild or the NHL for them to have these 12 to $15 million penalties against their cap? You talk about parity. And, and I mean, yeah, this is a big one and 
I, I wouldn't put it against the league to be like, oh, we got to help them out. This is absurd. But these are the rules. And uh, and then, of course, in Vancouver, we'll freak out over our Luanga one that, that we, we got as well. But it doesn't help anyone with this. A buyout should be a buyout. There should be a limit on it. Uh, it gives a lot more flexibility to teams. But you're seeing this handcuffing with the cap not going up. It's getting tighter and tighter. And eventually the PA is going to say something because there's guys like Nick Bugstead. Again, going back to him, 900000 for him, 28-year-old, good two-way player. He's worth more than that uh, from everything I've seen with Nick Bugstad. But I guess he's like, look, I can uh, I can stay somewhere where there's better tax dollars and at least just get something, get through this year and reevaluate next year, maybe get more money. But there's a lot of that tier of players who, uh, who don't like this as well. And, I mean, you know, we could tie this into what happens with Chicago as well. Like, uh, they... We're kind of put a little bit over the barrel with the Duncan Keith situation. Um, he goes to Edmonton and uh, Caleb Jones and a third rounder going back with some conditions on it. Um, I, I think Chicago did pretty well, given that it sounded like it was really Edmonton or bust for Duncan Keith. Yeah. And the, the other fact is that Edmonton took on the full salary of Duncan, Keith, the full cap hit, I should say. There's no money retained. Um it, it it definitely seems like Holland and the Oilers overpaid, at least for you know this point in Duncan Keith's career. Like, and I know Holland was saying, "Oh, Conn Smythe winner, three time Stanley Cup champion, Norris Trophy winner, gold medal, you know, gold medal winner." Sure, but like you're paying for his past success. That you know, if you were trading for him in 2016, 2017. Obviously, you'd be giving up more than Caleb Jones in a third-round pick, but still, that's not the player you're getting today. And I know the thought is, well, you know, he's not going to be relied on to play the heavy minutes he's been playing in Chicago through these last few years. He's going to be more of a top-four guy, you know, playing behind the likes of a Darnell Nurse. But again, like, I just, like, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's the other issue in the NHL that I think infuriates a lot of us, you know, onlookers and fans is that the GMs seem to always bail each other out for whatever reason. I don't know why, but you see these horrible contracts get signed and or these guys that are clearly past their prime, but you know, they still have name recognition with the old boys club and they're still paying a premium to acquire these players or they're not trying to hold the feet to the flames of the opposing team and say, hey, you need to retain at least a million or, you know, 1.5 million of Duncan Key's salary over the course of the next two years. I guess that is the one decent thing about the contract. It is only a two-year deal. And I know I, I heard someone this morning, I think it might have been Frank Saravelli. He was on with Helford and Bruff. And I think he was saying that one of the things Stan Bowman was really kind of pushing is that the majority of Duncan Keith's actual real dollars has already been paid. So I think his cap hit is meant to be, what, six or seven million, but you're really only having to pay him like four million over the next two years. So you're actually saving quite a bit of real money. Yeah, it's, there is value to that. He's owed three point six so a total over his last years, and and a similar thing with uh, Suter and Parise. Their their contracts. I think the last year, couple of years of them, they were only a million bucks each. So uh, they, I, again, I thought maybe they could have held on to him, but I do think the the no movements over there made it a lot harder. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think Duncan Keith is going to be better in Edmonton than people think, but uh, it is a hefty. It's just the price tag. It's it's too high of a cap hit for Duncan Keith at this stage in his career. But I think he will be having 
a better time in Edmonton than I think uh, people are giving him credit for uh, as well. So we'll see what happens there. Um, lost a little bit with uh, everything in the last couple of days uh, is the retirement of Pekka Rinne. And I just wanted to touch on this briefly because Rinne quietly as being one of the best goalies in the last 20 years. And he, he's got like, he's got such an interesting story. He was an eighth round draft pick. I think it was the last year we had eight rounds. He was an eighth round draft pick. 29 goalies went ahead of him in that draft as well. Played for 15 years. One of Vesna. He has the most wins ever by a Finnish goalie. Um, could be a, a Hall of Famer, uh, in my opinion, and uh, is just absolutely loved in Nashville. Like, I, you know, as you know, I've been to a couple games in Nashville. They love Pekka Rinne. He's, I mean, he's just been there so long. He's like that Alex Edler for the organization. Um, they got UC Saros now, who's taken over the reins there. Uh, but Doug, do you have any thoughts on the Rinne retirement? Uh, you know, you know, you know, I've always been a Rene fan. I've always liked him. I've always kind of had a soft spot for Nashville, uh, being one of the new expansion teams, so to speak. Uh, Nashville seems like it's a really good hockey market. Uh, and it's definitely a place I want to add to my bucket list to go and see a live game. Uh, and the fact that Rene is, is retiring a Nashville predator and he played his entire 15 year career in Nashville, I think really speaks to, speaks to something because you know rarely do you see players finish their careers with the team they started with these days obviously the Sedins did it I think there's a very good chance that Sidney Crosby is going to do it in Pittsburgh um, but outside of that you know it's nice to see and yeah I mean I, I wonder if he'll get a job somewhere in the organization. I don't know if he's planning to head back to Finland. Or, I mean, he spent 15 years in Nashville. I, I think much like the Sedins, I, you know, I would imagine he's kind of set himself up a little home here. And, you know, he considers himself a, a Nashville-tonian. Uh, Nashville's a cool city. If I was him, I mean, Finland looks awesome. I've never been as well, but do the back and forth. Uh, Nashville is... Uh, is a cool spot and good housing prices there too, as I've discovered. Um, what do you think about Ottawa and Pierre Maguire? Uh, now <laughs> I could just, uh, let's try not to go on tirades about how much, well, I, I shouldn't speak for you as well, but I, I really hate Pierre Maguire. I just, he's not a, a guy I enjoyed listening to. He seems very condescending and kind of old school, not my favorite guy. I know he's got a hockey mind and he's been around forever, but I read a lot of Ottawa fans uh, who were saying this was a great move by the organization. Man, if the Canucks brought in McGuire, I would be uh, that would be getting me to fly a banner around the city. Yeah, he's just super cringe. Like he's that really cringy uncle at the family gatherings that you're just like, I don't want to be stuck talking to him for more than five minutes. I don't know what it is about him. I mean, he, you're right. He he is a good hockey mind. He's been in the game for years. Uh, he did win a Stanley Cup uh, in the 90s as part of the management slash coaching staff of the Pittsburgh Penguins, I believe. Um, but yeah, I just I and I you've heard rumors of him wanting to get back into a management role for a few years now. Uh, you heard his name kind of being out there as potential. GM roles that were available. He's the advisor slash assistant to Pierre Dorian in Ottawa. Is there a more perfect organization for Pierre Dorian to go end up in than the Ottawa Senators? I don't know. 
Yeah, it's a tale of two Pierres over there. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I'm glad it wasn't here. Um, just down the road from Ottawa, the news in the front office was much less surprising today with Dominic Ducharme getting the interim tag removed. I actually forgot it was a he was an interim coach. Uh, he gets him all the way to the finals, and they sign him to a three-year deal. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a no-brainer there, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And it sounds like he wants his assistant coaches back, which would be Luke Richardson and Alex Burroughs. So, I mean, congratulations. Burroughs really seemed to kind of make the jump to, you know, the coaching carousel pretty quick. And, you know, who knows? Maybe down the line he could end up uh, coaching the Vancouver Canucks in an assistant or head coaching role. Yeah, it's cool to see a lot of the Canucks from that 2011 team in the news this this past month for for various things uh, as well. Um, but I Burroughs and Richardson, when Desharm was out there, I thought I thought they did a, a really good job uh, with everything going on behind the bench in Montreal. Like we said at the start, you know they they put up a good fight against a team that was a little bit over the salary cap. Yeah. Uh... Montreal has got some good young pieces there. I do think they have some issues as far as the cap goes. Did you also, and again, I didn't really look into this and not to get sidetracked here, but did you see there's rumors that apparently the Canadians called the Canucks about JT Miller? Yeah, again, uh, I, I we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. I, 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 I'm not sure how true they are or not, but I, I think it's at this, at that time of year where everyone should be kicking the tires at everyone. So, uh, um, yeah, see see what happens with that. I, I don't think Miller's going anywhere. Yeah, either do I. I just think, like you said, teams are just calling about players they like and say, hey, you know, was there any interest in moving this player? And if so, you know, what would it need? What would you need from us in order to facilitate a trade? Gabriel Landeskog and Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, different situations. Uh, Landeskog's a free agent. Tarasenko uh, is, is not. Um, but they could also, you know, talk about two players who could be on the move here. Um, it, we'll see if Landeskog resigns anywhere. I don't think any team's going to sign him until after Seattle. Um, and But Tarasenko, uh, that'll be another tricky one to, to move in, in, in my opinion. What do you think? I uh, think Tarasenko... Landis Gog, do you think those guys switch teams? I think Tarasenko 100% gets traded. Uh, again, I was listening to Frank Saravelli uh, this morning on the Helford and Bruff show, and he was saying that one of the big issues that Tarasenko wants out of St. Louis is they misdiagnosed his shoulder twice. So he's had this shoulder injury, been bugging him for the last year and a bit, I believe. And he had the first operation with the St. Louis doctors. And for whatever reason, it sounds like his shoulder just kept dislocating for whatever reason. Had a second surgery. Same thing. The shoulder just kept dislocating. And then he went and seeked a third opinion that wasn't the St. Louis medical staff. And whoever that person was or that team was, they said, I can't believe they missed this. This is a super easy fix. And they went and fixed it. And apparently it's not an issue for him anymore. So I think that's where there's some really bad blood between Tarasenko and the St. Louis Blues. And I think that's the reason he wants out. And you're hearing similar things about Eichel and Buffalo where the doctors wouldn't let him get the surgery that he's been wanting all year to fix a disc in his neck, I believe it is. And that's one of the reasons he wants out because he's not enjoying the fact that he doesn't have the final say over his body. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, Eichel as well. I know we've talked a lot about Eichel in the in the past. Um, Tarasenko career high for points is seventy five. Uh, since the start of the twenty nineteen season, he's had a total of twenty four points in the NHL, seven goals in the regular season, two in the playoffs. So uh, it's going to be a tough one to move right there. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I just want to talk about how happy I am that movie theaters are open again. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Grace and I went and watched A Quiet Place 2 in the movie theater. And then this past weekend, we went and saw Black Widow in the movie theater. And I just, I love the experience of going to the movies. Uh, It's just something I've missed this past year and a bit. And there's just... Again, it's nice to go to the movies, get your popcorn, drink your soda, have to hold for a pee in the middle of a movie, and you're debating whether or not you should get up and go mid-movie or you're going to tough it out. Um, But yeah, it's nice. The other thing that's great about going to the movies right now is they actually spread the seats out. So you're not crammed like sardines in a packed tin can, which is kind of nice. You actually have a little bit of elbow room next to you. Uh, But yeah, man, just the fact that movie theaters are open again and people are going out and watching movies... It's great, man. Yeah, I'd like the idea of people being spread out. Uh, I don't like the idea of having to hold it and run to the washroom. Um, For me, I want to talk about cheese. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot today. Is I made the mistake uh, maybe a week or two ago of, and this is probably because I'm not working right now, of buying the, the kind of generic cheese from Safeway. You know, the ones where all the prices are the same and, you get it home and it's kind of rubbery and it's like this isn't cheddar is this really cheddar and i was like but i, I have this thing i don't waste food either so i like finally got through it slowly and painfully and i went back uh, grocery shopping and i bought my good cheddar like beautiful sharp aged cheddar uh, that, you know it's so hard it kind of crumbles when you cut it like the english cheese oh so good so my moral for this story is is Life's too short to cheap out on good stuff. You can, you can say what I took to cheese. You can apply that to chocolate, wine, beer, scotch, potato chips, beef, whatever. Like, it, it's it's life is too short to buy rubbery cheese. So spend the extra couple bucks, suck it up, and get the nice, sharp, old cheddar. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 81 is just about in the books. And, Doug, it was a busy week for sports around the world, not just not just hockey. So I want us to just do a quick hits on a couple of things here and uh, just just touch on a few things here over the outro while we got the sweet beat going. Uh, are you? How does that sound for you? Yeah, I mean, there's, it, there's big things happening in the sports world as we speak, as we record. Uh, yes, well, as we're recording, we got the the MLB All-Star Game going, so let, let's start there. Um, had the Home Run Derby last night. Love the Home Run Derby. It was really cool to see Shohei Atani out there. Uh, Alonzo wins it for the second year in a row. Um, I love me a good Home Run Derby. Love the long ball. Um, and it's cool to see the All-Star Game back. Uh, it's, and I know we were talking about before, but they actually got uniforms. So looking good. Four J's in there as well. 
Yeah, and it was really cool. Vladdy uh, Guerrero Jr. put a really cool photo of the glove he's using at the All-Star game today. And it's a photo printed all over the glove of when he was at the All-Star game with his dad, when his dad played for the Montreal Expos back in the 90s. And Vladdy's like a little kid. And it's just, if you haven't seen it yet, check out the photo. The Blue Jays tweeted it out there. And it's, it's awesome, man. It's just a really, really, really cool glove. And it's obviously a really special moment for him. So I have an English dad and an Italian mom. So the Euro final was was quite interesting for different sides of my family. Italy wins in penalties. Uh, I know a lot of people are making a big deal about the strategic substitutions that Southgate made for the English side who missed three straight penalties. Um, my opinion, uh, Italy was the better team that day. Uh, England kind of went a little bit soft. I went out to the drive afterwards and just, uh, it was... I realized once I was out there, then the streets had gotten blocked off. It was the first time I'd been in a crowd of any sort in about a year and a half. Uh, it was really cool to see that. Um, it was good as well to hopefully not see COVID numbers rise because of it, because there was very little social distancing with uh, a lot of happy dancing Italians on a sunny day. Uh, but congrats to Italy. Uh, congrats to England. I thought they played really well. They only trailed for nine minutes the whole tournament as well. Yeah, I mean, I think England started off that match very well. I think they were the better team for maybe the majority of the first half. And then the second half, they really seemed to just kind of sit on their hands. And, you know, it reminded me a lot of American football with the prevent defense where they prevented themselves from actually winning. They were more worried. They were trying not to lose as opposed to trying to win the match. And I think that ended up biting them in the ass. And then, yeah, penalty penalties are always, you know, they're always a 50-50. You know, you get lucky. Uh, you miss by a foot. You, you, you hit top corner. The, the keeper guesses the right way. He guesses the wrong way. So it's really a coin flip when it gets to penalties anyways. But I think both, I think the two teams that made it to the finals were the two best teams in the tournament, hands down. No shout out to the English fans for the way they reacted afterwards. That was some serious bullshit trashing London and ruining what was a pretty epic sports day in London. I, was, I saw Tom Cruise at the, the finals and David Beckham at the finals, and I saw them at Wimbledon too. And I was like, damn, you know, I've been, I've done uh, a sports weekend in London before. I saw the North London Derby, and then I saw the Raiders Dolphins at Wembley back to back days. But the same day, that's pretty cool. Wimbledon, uh, Djokovic wins his 20th, but it was really cool to see Felix and get into the quarterfinals really good moment for Canadian tennis there yeah definitely I mean Canadian tennis is definitely on the rise and you know how fitting that the Italians win the Euros in football and an Italian loses at Wimbledon and on, on the tennis side as well Bianca Andreescu withdraws from the Olympics and I think you may see more people do this the Olympics going ahead in a city in a lockdown with no fans it's going to be a weird one, and uh, the IOC, man, they, they're pushing ahead with this regardless. Um, you know, I hope it goes well, but it's certainly going to be a different Olympics. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not going to have the same cachet, um, and with no fans in the stadiums, I, I, I think it's really going to be, it's just going to be weird. It's just not going to have that same feeling. I know we saw it last year with the playoff bubble in the NHL and the NBA, but I think the Olympics, especially when they've like done everything they can to build infrastructure and to like make it a spectator sport that only comes, you know, to your country once, maybe every 20 years. 
uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be different, and I agree with you, Pete. I think a lot of athletes are going to pull out. Well, you know who does have a lot of fans in the building is anywhere in America, even as 45 states right now have rising COVID numbers. The NBA Finals are going ahead with pretty full crowds in there. Uh, we saw the Bucks win one, make it a series 2-1. Uh, they're playing every three days right now, so we don't have a game tonight yet, but uh, it's been a pretty high-scoring series. It's nice to see Giannis get the team back in there as well with uh, Game 3 because it looked like the Suns may have run away with it there for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is a final that, honestly, I would be happy with either the Suns or the Bucks winning. I really do like Giannis Antetokounmpo. I do really like Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Um, I think this is going to be a hard-fought six or seven game series, and I, yeah, I look forward to game four which i believe is tonight tomorrow tomorrow yeah Yeah, every three days they're doing um yeah you can follow us on twitter as well i'm at pete underscore gas and we have the canuck speakeasy playlist on spotify that's the canuck speakeasy outro playlist we'll add this track onto there as well give me a follow on twitter at doug venn be sure to follow the podcast on twitter at canuck speak As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.